I'm Dr. Greg Winteregg, CEO of the Private Dentist Alliance. I want to talk to all of you students out there today who are wondering what your future is going to be like as a career in dentistry, as an assistant, as a hygienist, as a dentist, where is this profession going with the rapid increase of the DSO movement? I'm here to tell you the PDA is going to help you and I want you to become a member today. It is free. Now, why should you become a member? You're gonna get weekly video updates from me and you're gonna get regular updates of our newsletters from the Alliance on exactly what is happening and how we are going to help preserve and protect the private practice of dentistry. Now to me, the most important advantage is you are going to get access to our job board. What is that? Our private practicing members all have access to our PDA job board, which means if they have an opening in their private practice of assistant, hygienist, doctor, front office staff, they're going to be able to post it. And you're gonna be able to check up regularly. And as our membership grows, we're gonna be covering larger and larger territories across the United States. If you are looking for a job in any position in the office of a private practice, you need to become a student member today. It is free. Go to www.privatedental.org and become a student member today. You're gonna to love your benefits. Do it now. Today, we have on Dr. Trent Nyson sitting down with us again for part two of his series about how to acquire your private practice. So, Dr. Nyson is a private practicing dentist in Minnesota. He's in his second month of private practice ownership. He loves the process. He went through it. Uh, he's here sitting down with us today to give us the hot and fresh take on what you need to do and tips and tricks to facilitate it to make it the best possible experience for you when buying your office. So, he provides a lot of good tips on practice brokers, you know, dealing with the, you know, the business aspect of it, finding an associateship initially just to get your skills home before you're ready to jump to the private practice ownership. And he just provided a wealth of information. We're going to keep listening to this. This is all pertinent information, whether you're one year, two years, 10 years away from owning your own office. This is definitely something that you want to keep in the back of your mind, in your repertoire to help you uh, acquire that office. So, as always, follow us on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Make sure you give us a like, comment, share with a friend. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you guys want somebody on, you let us know who, and we will get them for you. So, as always, stay safe and bye on. We have Dr. Nizen with us today, and we're going to be talking about his journey, his career through dentistry, and now this is part two, and we will be talking about his uh, career as an associate, and now as a practice owner. So Dr. Nisen, let's just jump right into it. What was your experience at the end of your AGD program when you were applying to jobs? How, how did that all play out? Yeah, so now we're getting into more recent memories here, so they should be, uh, should be fresher. So um, at the time I was, so I finished my residency program in uh, Mesa, Arizona at AT Still University. So. I, uh, I began my search uh, mostly locally. I kind of, my, my initial plan was actually to probably end up working for a, for a DSL for my, my thoughts were maybe six months to a year while I started to, you know, begin the process of looking for a practice. That was my initial plan. Um, I had met with a couple of DSOs and, you know, 
just all, none of them were really quite the right fit. I had spoke with, um, I know I had interviewed with another doctor about kind of being a partner and that really also wasn't, wasn't a great fit. So it took, it's, uh, you know, it definitely took a lot of, it took a lot of feelers, you know, you send them out, you know, you have some conversations and you really try to find what you think would be the, uh, the right fit for you. But it definitely takes, like I said, it's, it's not going to, I don't think someone's going to apply for one job. It's going to be the perfect fit and they're going to, they're going to find that you really got to decide what's going to work, uh, what's best for you. And kind of what I talked about earlier, just what's really going to align with your vision. Right. So when you were applying, um, what were some things that you looked for? And also let's definitely talk about the, uh, equity position or partnership, uh, opportunity. Yeah. So as I probably stated earlier, I knew that my vision was I wanted to be solo doc, solo owner, um, you know, in the future that would expand. I wanted to be the one who had that opportunity and the one that can make that choice. So uh, the initial one was, you know, very nice dentist. Um, she, I think she was just a little overwhelmed with some of the management parts of it and was just kind of getting burned out, was looking for somebody to basically come in, kind of just be a, you know, a 50-50 partner with. And um, yeah, I just, I just knew that if I would take note of taking the job, I just knew it didn't really align with what I was looking for and what I ultimately wanted. And so I didn't want to kind of string her along and, you know, say, Oh yeah, I'm here for this. And just to get sake, some clinical experience. So I knew that that really wasn't the right fit. Um, and, you know, as far as some of the, the DSO meetings and things like that, I just, you know, I just also just didn't, I just don't think the, what they were looking for and what I was looking for, uh, really, really aligned super, super well. Okay. Right. Cause I mean, I'm sure you experienced the same thing. We have a ton of DSOs that come into school and, you know, basically do the song and dance. So trying to recruit mm -hmm. us. So it, it's definitely, yeah. It's tough and it's tough for both ends. You know, like I think DSOs, I think they definitely have their place and I'm sure there's plenty of docs that are probably doing it and are super happy with it. Um, you know, for me, I just, like I said, that was probably my initial plan was just to, to do that. But the ones that I ended up um, interviewing with, like I said, just wasn't the right fit. And the opportunity that I ended up coming across, um, I thought was going to be a, a great long-term fit. And I'm not going to go into a ton, ton of details about, about, about this, my year of associateship and kind of want, I want to stray there, but it was basically kind of promised like a, you know, a very high level of mentorship and a transition into a, an, a into a, the sale of the practice. Uh, but ultimately things kind of went sour pretty quick. I ended up working for him for a year. He did teach me, he did teach me a lot. And I, but I feel like I also helped provide a lot of care to the patient base. And ultimately we kind of came to parting terms and um, kind of decided that I was going to go in a different direction. Right. So before we get into the acquisition, let's talk about literally your first months as a dentist, first months with your license. What was that like? How was it, you know, actually, you know, getting paid? Also, can you please talk about uh, getting insurance, like all those little sorts of things that you, you don't really think about that you have to do the check the boxes before you start working? Yeah, well, I guess we can kind of begin with licensure. And I got licensed in Minnesota before I left and then ended up really not using that. And then I got licensed in Arizona. And then when I decided to go back to Minnesota, my Minnesota one had lapsed, so I had to reapply. So basically, I've been doing the, the licensure dance every year for the last three years, and I'm hoping I'm done with it now. But 
you know, a lot of that stuff is just, it's, it's paperwork, it's money, it's time, it's boxes to check, it's things to get notarized. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into that, um, especially like, you know, people that are maybe coming towards the end of their dental school journey or say AEGD or GPR, it's, yeah, you got to start. I mean, you can kind of begin that process a little early and I would because it does take time for paperwork and then they say you need this or that. So it does take a lot of time. So I would highly recommend someone to, to do get started on that process early. And it's everything from, I don't know, background checks to make sure your CPR is active. So there are a lot of hurdles that come with that. Uh, the next question you had asked about was insurances. Uh, so yeah, you do got to kind of get your um, obviously like a, I'm assuming the first thing you're trying to talk about is like a malpractice or, a, you know, insurance like that. And yeah, you definitely got to get that. Sometimes, you know, an employer will, will pay that for you. Sometimes you have to get your, your own. I was in the camp where my employer did, did provide that. And then obviously you got to get, um, you know, a good disability policy. I definitely would be a strong advocate for that. And it's probably not even a terrible idea to have like a, you know, like a term life insurance policy as you're, you're young and you, you know, maybe have loved ones. Um, so that is, those are the, the insurance policies that I currently have in place and are definitely good to, to get involved, well, kind of essential to get involved with as you're beginning your career. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing you had kind of asked was about what is, you know, what is life as a dentist begin? And it's, at the beginning, it's strange, man. It's, there's no prep checks. There's no start checks. There's no, uh, you know, there's no one over your shoulder. There's no one to tell you if you need to reduce more. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes you find out things, um, you know, after the fact. So a big thing I would be, a, a big strong word of advice I would provide to fourth year students is, is really try to be really critical and critique your work before you have your instructor come over, because eventually you're not going to have I'm going to say, oh, you still have decay here. Oh, you need to reduce this more. Or, oh, you got a root tip here, you know, because eventually you're going to have to be your own judge and you're going to have to be, you know, your own guidance. But, you know, you're going to, I'll be honest, early on, it's, you know, you'll you'll make mistakes and, you know, it's deep decay and you maybe didn't explain it enough to them beforehand. You thought you did, but then they're, they're calling complaining saying you drilled too far on their tooth or, you know, you maybe didn't tell them that they're going to have, significant post-op swelling and discomfort after extraction and you know they they call you and complain about that so it's you learn a lot of lessons pretty quick and you know even the even the the best that you do um you know you're still gonna have mistakes and you're gonna have things that don't go great and unfortunately that's probably why i'd be a strong advocate for you know being a being an associate from the start and especially if you can have somebody kind of a at least another doc with you or a mentor doc because you know, I, and thankfully, I even had, you know, an additional year of that with my program, but it's, it's, there's so much that, you know, dental school, it can kind of teach you a lot and you can do it as much as you can, but you're still not going to see everything or know how to handle everything. So early on, it's, I think mentorship is really big because it's, 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 it is tough at the beginning and, you know, you, you pour your heart into it and patients still aren't happy sometimes about stuff and things don't pan out the, the, the way you wanted to. So it's, it's really, it's also really important to kind of keep your, your mental health in check and, you know, and not to put so much pressure and stress on yourself early on. If some, if things don't go per- perfect, I think as long as day in and day out, you're doing what you believe is the best for your patients and trying to provide the best care. Um, you know, you can hang your head on that, your head on that at the end of the day, but you can't, you can't over critique and overthink about things. Cause I, I certainly did. 
Right. So what were some um, struggles that you had when you started working? I mean, it's the first time that you have assistants. It's the first time you're managing staff. What, what was your experience with that? I think one of the first big things is really it's, it's obviously you have more of a time crunch and a time pressure. And it's, it's, you know, you have hygienists waiting for, for checks or you have some a patient that's called the front desk and then the front desk has got a question for you. And at the same time, you're trying to, you know, fit your matrix band and it's a bloody mess back there and you can't get it sat properly and patients, you know, getting frustrated. And it's, it's really, um, it's just more than anything, it's just kind of a volume of things that you're really, you're juggling early on. And it's, it's, and then at the same time, you kind of have to make sure you carry yourself with someone who is still confident and still a leader and still in charge. So it's, it's more than anything. It's, it's the multitude of factors. It's like saying dental school, you know, you're just dealing with this, this one patient in the chair and you're dealing with one part of the prep that no matter where you look, turn their head, mirror, nothing, you can't see it. And you're, you know, you're trying to get that part of the prep smoothed out. Or like I said, you're taking out a tooth and it's just, you know, whatever it might be, it's difficult to see, difficult to access, patient can't open very far. You have those, those clinical challenges when you start with, but as you start, you know, in, in dental school, but as you transition into the real world, you start to add more managerial and other components that, that do make things challenging. And like I said, probably the biggest thing early on is, is time, you know, and that'd be another big thing I would be an advocate for students, especially in their third and their fourth years. Start to just time yourself a little bit and say, okay, like I've given myself 20 minutes and, you know, we should be at a, you know, we should be at a good point of, of getting the instructor back over here, look at this in 20 minutes. Whereas, you know, what is it? There's a certain law that says basically work expands to fill time allotted, and that is so true. If you got all afternoon to do this, it's going to take all afternoon. Whereas if you say, okay, I want to be at a good point here in 20 minutes, then you actually kind of, you know, it puts your feet to the fire a little bit. Right. I, I totally agree with that because when I do like an exam right now, it takes the whole, what is it, three hours? But, you know, we, we got to do like diagnostic casts for every patient. But then if I squeeze two exams in one block, I still can do them. So like they're exactly what you're saying, you know? So it's so true. And that's even true to me now. If, if it's the last patient before lunch, you know, I'm going to, even now I say, I still struggle with that versus if I know I have another patient in the other chair waiting, it's, it's going to put different pressure on yourself. So sometimes it's pressure is a good thing. And it is like the biggest thing will be, will be speed and clinical efficiency and you know, even right now, me being out a couple of years, I'm still, I'm still growing and I'm, I'm way further than I was a year ago. I'm light years beyond, you know, where I was, you know, three or four years ago. So it's, it's a continuous uh, process of growth. Right. Pressure creates diamonds. There we go, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, now as you started moving towards your acquisition, let's, let's now dive deep into that. So how did you start out? What did you start out with? just looking at demographics where did you start on your journey ultimately when things with my associateship and first attempted uh, purchase kind of went south on both ends my wife and I we decided that we wanted to go back to Minnesota and so I began the process basically by looking at all you know um, all brokered listed you know listings in Minnesota so you kind of reach out there are if people who are, who are not familiar with this is basically there's companies that their job is basically to sell dental practices. So 
Um, the first, I think the probably the first step and the most low hanging fruit is to reach out to them. They're going to have, you know, practices that are, that are listed for sale. A lot of times what they do is they keep them generic, um, to kind of protect the selling doctor. They'll say, you know, practice doing 750k in western part of the state or you know awesome practice doing 1.5 in the busy metro area they just, they try to keep it generic and basically what you do then is you sign a non-disclosure agreement with the with the broker and then what they'll do is they'll start to provide you with some of the financials of the practice you know what are they doing what do the bills look like what does the overhead look like how much are they how much have they collected the last couple of years and they're all going to kind of vary in what they give you but they kind of give you you know your your snapshot of of what this practice looks like on paper. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I just signed, uh, an NDA to start looking at practices, um, with a broker. What kind of broker did you use? Uh, and what do you think about like dual representation, all of that sort of stuff? I think the whole dual representation does kind of present some challenges. I think at the end of the day, a, a broker works for the seller. I think ultimately you have to always keep that in mind. And uh, the broker that I ended up working with, um, he is actually a lawyer here in Minnesota. And um, I guess I can say his name. He's, his name is Ryan Brengman. He's a Shea Practice Transitions. And I thought he was very fair, very good to work with, um, a good guy. So I really, um, I really don't have you know many complaints on the end of, of what my experience was. Sometimes you know the brokers can be challenging to deal with they you know you can hear a lot of things on facebook groups and podcasts but uh, on my end i was i was very happy with the guy i worked with he was very responsive i thought he did a great job of you know advocating for his seller but while also just maintaining open lines of communication you know when things would come out throughout the deal it was he was very communicative with my lawyer so um yeah i i had i had a good experience with my transition process okay great um, so what were some of the KPIs that you were focused on when going through the, uh, practice financials? We'll start out with the financials. Yeah, I read, um, read a lot of books kind of in preparing for this and, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's, it's written by a, a CPA, but basically he said kind of to start your look, he said, for the most part, practices usually doing under like six or 700. He's like, generally, he's like, he said, if you can avoid them, he would, you know, there's certainly plenty of instances where you can kind of do that. But I kind of was of the camp of kind of avoiding maybe the, the fixer upper in terms of there's a lot of practices that you'll see like, oh, you know, it's doing 475 and they only want 250 for it. But a lot of the things that I've listened to and learned from have kind of geared me towards that buying something that is doing a little better, because that's at least going to have more cash flow that's coming in. You're going to pay more for it, but you got to think of it as you're kind of buying an, an engine and that's the big thing. You want to buy something that's, that's already moving. You know, you can currently, you can certainly do a, a startup and that was actually something I had thought about for a long time. But um, obviously with that, the pros of, of startup are, this gets to be your baby. You could design every aspect of it from the, from the beginning. The cons are, it's like a rocket ship getting off the ground. That takes a lot of fuel and time uh, to get it just to break through, you know, in the rocket ship analogy, you know, through the atmosphere. And it's kind of the same thing with that. It just does take a lot of time, effort, marketing, and picking the right area. Um, when it comes to, you know, an acquisition, you obviously, you know, obviously I'd say you said some KPIs to look at, 
you know, it's a big thing for me was I wanted something that's actually, you know, producing a, a fair amount. Mine, he was producing between oh, over the, over the past few years, kind of between 1.1 and 1.3 is what, what production was. Um, next thing you want to look at is, you know, where's overhead at, you know, you want to make sure that you're obviously going to invest the time to buy this. I know money can kind of be a taboo topic, but ultimately if you're going to buy something, you want to buy something that's, you're not just buying an expensive job where you would have made more just being an associate, you know, something, it doesn't matter if you to produce 1.5, if the bills are 1.4, you know? So that was another factor I, I had looked at and I looked at it kind of not only where is it at now, but where could it be? Is there opportunities to, to modify, you know, what are the modifiable factors of the overhead and what are the non-modifiable? So um, those are a couple of the factors. Um, and then I'd say another factor to look at is, What's the procedure mix of the of the practice? I knew that implant dentistry was a big was a big draw for me, so I knew that I was either going to have to buy an existing practice that has zero implant base onto it, but I was going to have to you know basically bring that whole to the system. And what I mean by that, you need surgical motors, instruments, you know, and then you basically need to kind of teach a practice, teach a patient base like what are the steps of of implant dentistry. The really beneficial thing about my my uh my acquisition was this doc was was doing that he was doing a fair amount of implants and you know the the patient base was kind of established with that you know they knew what the process was and a lot of the systems and things were in place one thing i did have to buy was a was a cone beam ct the doc wasn't wasn't uh, using cone beam technology but other than that the rest of the you know the supplies were there you know and so and the right. systems were there and the staff was familiar with it. so that was, those were probably some of the biggest things that drew me to this practice. And I mean, a huge side benefit was it was literally 30 minutes from where I grew up and about 45 minutes from where my wife grew up. So it's, it's kind of, it's a town I was very familiar with. Um, I didn't know this dentist personally beforehand, but once the opportunity kind of presented, it's kind of crazy how much the stars kind of lined up for what the selling doc was looking for, as well as what I was looking for as a buying doc. Okay. So you're saying about the implants. So when you, uh, we're looking specifically for a practice that did implants did or or you know that you would have to build it up yourself did you feel comfortable at that point to start doing implants day one so the you know the kind of the steps before this were the AEGD gave me quite a few reps and then actually even though you know in the previous year of private practice I had quite a few opportunities well I did have some some good clinical mentorship in the year prior to where, yeah, I felt, I, I feel pretty comfortable with, with a lot of, you know, singles, you know, immediates. I'm kind of getting to the next step where, you know, we're getting more towards the full arch and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think so. This is where this AEGD really helped me and to be to this point in my career, to be comfortable to take on a patient base like that, because that's exactly right. Say a new grad who's, who hasn't necessarily ever placed a single implant this this wouldn't have been a great fit and it wouldn't have been a good fit for me coming right out of dental school so that's a big factor where you know you gotta look at what's there what are they doing and the worst case scenario is to buy something that you can re reproduce you know say you're a new grad and you're going into this big high-end cosmetic all on four place well unfortunately until you've developed that skill set um that's really going to be a hard practice to keep or you know even to maintain you won't you won't be able to maintain that on the vice versa, you know, you a, a new grad or you know someone with just some clinical experience, and you start to invest in some CE, and you really start to get yourself 
leveled up and you go into say a traditional bread and butter practice where there's just a lot of work that hasn't been talked about, a lot of patches of, of things that should have been crowned, a lot of teeth that need to, you know, come out, um, a lot of big, you know, failing amalgams. That's a, that's a golden opportunity for, for kind of a young dentist coming in with, with a fresh, you know, basically a fresh education with energy, with, with a lot of things. You got to realize a lot of older docs, they get tired, man. They get tired of some stuff. And they're just like, you know what? I don't even want to try to tell them that they need another crown or, you know, that a lot of them just, they get towards the end of their career. They're just kind of just maybe ready to move on. And there's just a lot of work that should have been talked about what, but was, but wasn't. So, you know, some of these, just like I said, a lot of these bread, or, bread and butter offices where there's a lot of opportunity where if the right doc comes in, like I said, with a, a good skill set, a good energy and, um, you know, good leadership skills, there's a ton of opportunity. Because that's also what I've, what I've found in mind. There's just a lot of work that just, you know, a lot of restorative work that just wasn't really talked about. And I come in and take a clinical photo of it and show them what I see and, and say, hey, if you know, if you were my, my sister or my brother, this is what I'd do for you. Right. So um, what, do you remember, like, what percentage of the clinical procedure mix that the implants were? That is a good question. I don't know if I actually got a super, super a detailed breakdown of it. I think in 2019, I think he placed like a hundred implants and, you know, in 2019. So that kind of gives you an idea if you're thinking he was doing four work days, you know, I would say he was doing, you know, say, a, say two a week would probably be, that'd be on a 50 weeks year. But I think he was somewhere right around a hundred. As far as total revenue, um, I didn't have that number off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Was there a, um, I guess, a, a, a line that you would look at? But did you, like, did you find a lot of practices that were doing implants? No, not really. No, a lot of them were, you know, like I said, at least it, it kind of depends where you're at and where you're looking to. Every, everywhere it's going to be, you know, a little different. You know, if you're buying like a top dollar practice in a big metro area, chances are there's going to be more, you know, more technology and more stuff like that. I probably looked at a total of probably seriously looked at probably like eight or nine of all the the brokerage listings that I had. And it was just kind of like, once I, once I dove into this one, I just, I knew it was the right fit for, for both ends. So I'll be honest, uh, you know, my, my search thankfully wasn't too, you know, terribly long and I might even not be the best reference on, on this topic, but it really was, it really ended up being a really, really good fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you also mentioned um, that the seller was looking for something specific. And I was talking to another dentist um, the other day and he was telling, he just bought a practice also. um, And he said that the seller would have the broker give him the names of the potential buyers and would filter them. He'd like look them up and everything and like filter through them and like, okay, yes, he can come in and do an interview. He can come in. So what, what was your seller looking for? Yeah, and honestly, my seller was, was very similar in this regards. I know that multiple kind of buyers had been basically kind of had gone through that similar process. I think the best way to think about it is, you know, let's reverse the roles and think about you. Think about, say, you had, you know, you've accomplished everything you wanted to in your dental practice, and, you know, you're 65 years old, and this is your pride and joy. This building, the patient base, your team, this is like the culmination of, of your, you know, your life's work. And when it comes down to it, you are basically selecting or, you know, more or less working with the person who is going to be taking over for your patient, who is going to be looking at all of your, you know, 
bite wings and evaluating your work? Who is going to be taking care of Mrs. Jones, who you saw for 30 years? And so really that's, they want somebody that they know that they, you know, is going to do quality work, who's going to take care of their patient base, um, who's not just going to, you know, throw them under the bus at every opportunity. So yeah, I, I, you know, the story you were saying, it's, it's, it does sound very similar. And the fact that they're really looking for someone who's going to carry on their, their torch and their, their legacy. It's kind of like, I don't know, say your dad's got a, you know, a, a classic old car and who is, is he going to turn it right over to any 16 year old or is he going to make sure, he, you know, he turns it over to the right one. So in terms of um, what we were both looking for is initially we had talked about doing a little bit of a transition period. Um, but after a lot of talks with it, we decided to just do a, a, a kind of a hard split and, um, at the time, I was really nervous about that, but in hindsight, it was actually the perfect thing for us, for, for both of us. So I will speak to that too is, um, yeah, because there's ways of doing it. There's ways of employing the seller, of the seller staying on for months or years. There's, um, there's doing kind of a hard split like I did, and it was actually uh, the best fit for, for both of us. Because if you think about it, things that factor that go into this are the team, the team is going to see this new doc as the official owner on the books, but the doc who's been there for so long is still around, you know, say, say some things don't go right. Well, let's go act, you know, the old doc of how things should be done. Same thing with patients. Say you come in to, you know, do a recall exam and, you know, you tell them like, you know, ultimately this, these three broken teeth down here on the lower left, ultimately all do need crowns on them. Well, can you have the other old doc, you know, old doc never told me about that. Can he come take a look? So some of those factors really come into play. And in my case, like I said, I think it worked out for the best for all to kind of have a new clear voice going forward. The best example I'd heard of it is basically saying, um, you know, you will always be Robin to Batman until, you know, until the, the seller doc is gone. And and I think that was, I think it was great to, when I came in to kind of create a new division that I was looking for, the type of practice that we wanted to be in like clinical care. And thankfully that came from kind of one unified new voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, you, you mentioned about the, the staff and the patients. Did you experience a lot of turnover of the staff? How did, how did that work out when you came in on day one and, you know, did the uh, selling doc, you know, do a, a letter of goodwill to the patients? Tell me about the turnover of the staff. And the um, yeah, so we came in and um, thought what I had was mostly a, a solid team and ready to go be going forward. Um, the night before my first day of ownership, I received a text message at eight o'clock saying that a team member was not, that an assistant was not returning and she's taking a job elsewhere and she was my only assistant scheduled for my first day. So needless to say, right off the bat, I had to do some juggling and scrambling. Um, the rest, and then we ultimately decided, my wife has been very involved with this process with me and we ultimately made the decision to have my wife uh, kind of assume the role of what another team member had been doing. So we did have two parts of, of you know, turnover in the early. And then ultimately once that, other team member did not return, I did end up hiring. So right off the bat, it was dealing with uh, basically a not bringing on an employee, an employee quitting, and then hiring. That was all within, you know, the first two weeks of, of ownership. So uh, so that was a lot. In terms of the patients, um, for the most part, I think I've I've done a good job of showing them who I am, that I, that I care, that I have, you know, a good 
outgoing personality and have done my best to make them feel welcome. I think we've had very few records requests transfers. Some of them are just, they've been coming to him from, from a ways away. And I think just the transfer kind of gave them an opportunity to, to go to somewhere closer to home. Um, but no, for the most part, um, we've been getting a lot of good feedback, a lot of great Google reviews. And I feel like we've done a good, strong job as a team of, of making patients feel welcome. My team, I'm very proud of them. They've done a good job of, of helping reassure the patients. They can kind of see who I am, the, the type of person I am, the type of doctor I am. And they have really, um, I can't say enough about how much they've gone to bat for me to, to be, you know, to be kind of my advocate before I even come in the room. And it's kind of sets the, the patients on, a, on the right trajectory. And you had asked about a transition letter. Yes, we did that. Um, basically, what the broker wanted was him to write the first one and basically stating that after X amount of time, he's retiring. This is who he's selling to. It was a little bit about me. And now my wife and I are actually thinking about doing our own and sending out another mailing here soon, just kind of like officially introducing us and kind of what, you know, what our plans are and visions are for the, for the practice. And I will say this, if you do this all by yourself, it takes forever. And that's exactly what we did. Because if you think of like, you're doing like over a thousand letters or 1400 letters. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe we'll be outsourcing the next one, but we DIY the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's back backtrack a little bit here. So first, um, let's talk about what your, give, give me like a picture of your practice. So how many ops, like how many team members, and what's, do you know, like necessarily your patient base or I don't, I don't know if you can tell your active patient base at this point, cause there might still be attrition, but. Yeah. So we are, we have five ops. Basically he was doing a lot of surgeries and there's like two like closed rooms. So like he did a lot of like surgeries and crowns and things like that. He would do out of the two. And then there was three additional ops, basically the two hygiene each to, you know, take one. And there was kind of a, was kind of a fifth op that, in the past had been used for a dental therapist, a mid-level provider. He had previously employed that. Um, so I kind of have three ops for, for me to work out of. As far as the staff goes, we have two wonderful hygienists. Um, and then we have um, currently two uh, clinical assistants. Um, one of mine is, she is kind of ready to retire. So I'm currently actively looking and trying to find my next fit. Um, the one that I brought on, she's been awesome. She's a great fit. And then we have both my wife and then the long-term kind of office manager, clinic director who, who are basically at the front desk. So we're to be a total, I guess, of, of seven of us. Um, patient base. Uh, my town, I'm in a town called, of Wilmer, Minnesota. It's about like 20,000 and pretty decent drawing area from, you know, I would say probably maybe 30 miles. There's a lot of smaller towns in, in, the, in the, the area surrounding that. Um, you know, we got a lot of, blue collar workers, a lot of farmers, a lot of, um, I would say for the most part, probably maybe a little bit of an older demographic. And that's like exactly what I wanted to, you know, I'm, I, God bless, uh, pediatric dentists. Uh, it's just really not my, my strong suit. I, I'll see kids, you know, I do my best, but, uh, my more, my passion is doing more advanced and more I guess more advanced work on maybe older patients who just, who need more of the work. That's maybe more of who I, who I really wanted to help and to work on. And, um, you know, I'm willing to see, to see all patients. We see all sorts. We've, we really started to do some, some advertising and some marketing and we're kind of 
we're getting all all kinds of kinds in who are hearing about the great things we're doing. So mm -hmm. great. So that that was going to be my next question about uh, marketing. So what marketing? So you talked about the letters. Um, what marketing are you going to start doing? Um, what marketing have you done? And are you at the point where you can tell, yes, this works. No, this doesn't work. Um, so one of the the mediums that this stock had used previously was the radio. We're kind of in a rural, we're in a rural area and um, a lot of people listen to the radio. So we, this would be like our first full month of running um, radio ads on, on three different stations. Um, yeah, it's the word spreading. I mean, I'm getting texts and messages from people I went to high school with saying, Hey, I heard you on the radio. So I know it's, I know it's getting out there and we're getting some patients that are starting to come in from it. It's a, it's a higher expense at this time. So I don't know if we'll maintain it forever, but right now it's kind of like a, Hey, this is, you know, this is me. I'm the, the new owner of the practice and really trying to broadcast that out. Um, we've really began with our reputation management of really getting five-star views. So we're working with, with swell to help build our Google uh, online presence. Um, I basically started it from from scratch, and I think we're like 28 five star reviews in about two months. Nice. Um, very happy where that's going. We're you know we're we're getting right up there in our area. You know my vision for the team was to have us be the best ranked in our area by the end of the year. So that'd be basically three months in, and we're we're kind of on pace for that. And the team's kind of been a big advocate to help build that. And then we've also kind of dabbled with some Facebook ads and that's actually been working decently too. You know, a lot of people are, are seeing in our area. I don't think a lot of dentists and, and dentists in my area are doing it. Um, and then going forward, I kind of have, you know, some big visions of some, some kind of some mailer campaigns and then all sorts of stuff. But, you know, every market is going to be very different of what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, you know, in a busy metro area, like probably the radio probably wouldn't be a very good ROI and, um, you know, maybe more of like a pay-per-click or a targeted Facebook ad or so that's the thing right now. We're kind of in a little bit in the trial phase of, of seeing what's working and what's reaching people. And like I said, thankfully in my area, it's just, it's marketing is just, it doesn't seem like to be a, a big thing. So I, I see it as a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So have you started to dabble with social media at all? Anything like that? Yeah, totally. We, we started a scratch start um, Facebook page and, um, we've really started to pour into that and put some good content on there. And, but just between me and my wife kind of organically building it and growing it and with some ads, I mean, we went from zero to like, we're like 450 likes on the page and um, yeah, it's, it's growing. Like I said, we're kind of combining our, our Facebook ads with also just kind of just creating that we're kind of a fun page that people want to look at not just like, you know, Hey, here's $99 whitening, but we're just trying to, we're trying to really try to use it to build our brand and show our personality and our team and our staff. And yeah, I, 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 and like I said, we're kind of dabbling with, with our ads and kind of learning how that all works. And, um, but yeah, there's a lot you can do with, with Facebook ads too. And I mean, for people who aren't familiar with it, I mean, you can literally spend a dollar a day. You can spend like, I don't know, hundreds of dollars a day and you kind of choose who you want it to go towards. So it's, we're trying to, you know, trying to figure out what's our, what's our ROI with that and the reach that we're getting. So. Right. Uh, okay. So one more uh, note, I know we kind of skipped over this, but uh, I want to make sure we get this in this episode. How did you structure your deal for when you purchased the practice? Did you do like percentage of collections, percentage of production, or did you do like multiples of EBITDA? Like how did you do that? 
um, the the deal was was kind of set forth by the by the broker, and they kind of had set what their asking price was, and I kind of provided all that information to my my CPA, and basically I asked them, I'm like, you know, is this is this where we need to be based on what it's done, you know, based off of whatever you know modality he used to come to the price, and I said, is this where it needs to be? Do we need to offer a full price one, and or do we need to you know potentially make an offer? And he said. He, he he agreed with the assessment and he's like, he'll get this. So he's like, I would just make, you know, to, to, to keep the goodwill, I would I would just make a full price offer. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, you know, there's many ways that do, you know, evaluate it. I mean, the old tried and true is what, the 65 to 75% of collections is, is kind of a, at least a framework. And the other one would be like a multiple of the, of the profit. Um, but yeah, so that was the, the the price was kind of set forth, and I just kind of basically confirmed that it was where it should be. And you know, my advisory team, um, you know, said that yeah, that's he'll he'll get this, and I would make a full price offer on it. Okay, cool. Um, so next question is, um, so as, as you're you know moving forwards with your practice, is there a piece of technology that you've purchased that has just you know, blown the practice out of the water, just, you know, had crazy ROI, anything like that? I wouldn't say the crazy ROI yet, but I I knew I needed a cone beam and uh, we got it. We bought it about, when did that get installed? A couple weeks ago. And it's just been huge. It's been great for, you know, just visualizing structures and bone and, and for pre-planning of implants. And uh, I knew it was paramount. I knew I needed to do it. And ended up getting a really great deal on, on a new model for much less than I thought I was going to have to spend on it. I knew I was going to have to get one. Um, but thankfully, I was able to, you know, a month into it to, to get that. And now it's allowed me to start, you know, placing implants in the practice. And uh, but yeah, Comey was a big one. Next steps for me kind of look probably towards getting towards some form of, you know, digital scanner. And um, I was really familiar with my workflow and residency of, of printing surgical guides. So probably in the coming year will be a, a scanner and a 3D printer to help, uh, you know, really dial in my placement. And it, what it really, for people not super familiar with, with implant surgery is, you know, you can, you can do it freehand and there's a lot of guys that are very, very good at it. Um, but what I found is the predictability and um, just efficiency that guided surgery allows it's, you know, it's a no brainer. I, I, I really want to start to incorporate that more and more, even for what looks like a slam dunk single, you know, you really got to evaluate all of your different angulations when you're placing and to, to kind of help take that variable out and to know that it's, you know, it's right on the money. It's right where you want it. All your angulations and spots are, are perfect. And it makes your surgery time like super quick. And it just, like I said, it just helps take a lot of the thing. You're doing a lot of thinking at the front end when you're planning it in the computer. And then your guide is just helping you put it right where you need to you know, making surgery super efficient, super predictable. Um, that's kind of what I see in my visions for, for 20, uh, for 2021. Mm -hmm. And so which, um, implant system are you using? Um, I was in the past familiar with both BioHorizons, Zimmer, and Strawman. Uh, currently I've just kind of maintained what the doctor had used and he's been using uh, implant direct. Okay. And are you, you're totally fine with that, with using that one? Yeah. I'd say after you kind of use one, you just, after you get kind of familiar with what all goes into an implant system and the parts and the components, a lot of times then it's, 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 it's kind of learning it the first time is the biggest step. And then after that, you're able to, you know, kind of adapt and you just learn, 
basically all the, they have all similar components and stuff. It's just learning what does this drill mean or what is this, how long, you know, all the markings on the drill are going to tell you different lengths. And, you know, this one comes in these sizes and those lengths. So that's the biggest difference from, from system to system, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so also, now that you are practice owner, we talked about KPIs that you were looking at when you're, you know, searching for a practice. Now, as the practice owner, what are the KPIs that you're watching right now? And what are you doing to improve those? Yeah, I'll be honest, this is probably one area that I need to probably dial in a little, dial in a little bit. We're currently still kind of gathering a lot of data as we're going, you know, working with the bookkeeper and getting like the QuickBooks set up and talking with the CPA. So we're still kind of in, in data gather mode so I can kind of use a lot of those numbers going forward. Um, I can say that the big things right now is um, mostly looking at kind of, you know, what are we doing in a month? And, you know, we haven't necessarily been getting where I, where I want to yet. Um, and I kind of have, you know, my target and my vision of goals of where we want to go. Um, I'm hoping we, we're, things are kind of, you know, we've had a lot of cases that are starting to come up and where things are shaping up for hopefully a pretty good December. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. But, you know, as, as time goes on, the big KPIs that I tend to really look at is, is, you know, is obviously, your, you know, your collections. I think that's a big one on a month-to-month basis that, you know, any practice owner should be looking at and evaluating, especially because what it comes down to is it kind of comes down to intentional scheduling. It's just okay if everyone's kind of has their eye on the scoreboard, it at least kind of helps us do that. Whereas if we're, if we're not intentional about that, uh, it's not going to necessarily maybe lead where we want to go. So it's kind of getting, getting the team on board with saying, hey, this is where, you know, this is what we need to do in a month or this is what we want to do in a month, you know, to, to provide great care and for us to, to meet our goals as a practice. And then it's obviously right now, it's also hard with, I'm, I'm just buying so much equipment and stuff and supplies and materials. So it's really hard to get an accurate gauge on what like a monthly supply bill would be. You know, you always hear the numbers say, I don't know, four to 6%, but right now it's really tough to assess because I'm kind of, every day I come home, I'm like, oh, I didn't have this today. All right, I need to go order six of those. I got to order 10 of those. So it's it's kind of an exploratory time right now. So going forward, it'd be, Kind of looking at that monthly scoreboard of okay what are our supplies at what's our lab bill at um what are our other expenses you know your staff costs are going to be your your biggest expense and that's going to be um hopefully relatively you know fixed from time to time and you're not really going to be able to make that lower so really when it comes down to it your best you know your best defense that is is offense so it's it's really producing more you know because i don't think any any staff member wants to hear hey guys um we didn't do very good last month, so we're paying you less. No, it's like, well, our best way to do that, guys, is for us to do more. And, and you know, going forward, it'd be to evaluate kind of a staff bonus system based off of, you know, like a productions and collections. And that's kind of something, once we get more months of data, I think that'll be, you know, a great way to encourage staff and the team to, you know, when everyone's tired at the end of the day and, you know, so we've got a toothache, it's like, well, you know, let's, let's step up and let's get this person taken care of. And everyone, I think when everyone's got a little more skin in the game and when they, obviously the patient needs the care first and foremost, but if they start to see, you know, that guys, if we all, you know, we all do this together, we all pitch in, I'll flip your room or I'll go seat the patient or I'll clean up that other room. You know, if everyone kind of has that attitude because they know it's all for a greater good, you're much more, you know, to get, um, as Howard Franz says it, getting more players diving for the ball. There you go. 
Yeah, Howard Fran, what a guy. We had him on the podcast a little while ago. Um, he's, what a personality. He, he's great. I love him. So um, are you – I mean, we, we've gone through just about everything with your practice. I love it. I'm so – thank you so much for sharing all of this with all of our listeners. I, I know they're going to learn a ton. Are you ready for the lightning round of questions? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So I guess, you know, this doesn't have to be lightning answers, but what are, what are um, some of the best books and podcasts that you've listened to? Well, I got it all right up here. Um, let's see. I mean, where do I even start? Podcasts, I'm, you know, a big advocate of, of shared practices, learned a ton from them. Um, as far as specific books, I'm, like I said, I'm honestly just looking here what one has been a, you know, a big, big, strong one for me. I mean, I honestly, a big one for me lately, I've read it multiple times. Atomic Habits is a huge one for me. And I actually have a a tattoo on my left wrist of, of plus 1%. And that kind of that idea came from that book. And that's like kind of a daily reminder of me that the day in and day out to, to get 1% better as a, a leader an owner, a, a spouse. Um, but he kind of talked about that and I kind of helped shape that mindset for me. So I would say Atomic Habits is a, has been a huge one. And, you know, that's even just kind of outside of, of, of dentistry. But um, other than that, I mean, I'm going through Traction right now, and Traction's been a good book to help me kind of establish mission, vision, and, and core values for the practice. Everything in there is put down, very systematized. Um, E-Myth Revisited, uh, great, great book about kind of getting you away from the, the technician mindset into make sure you're wearing the hats of technician, um, manager, and entrepreneur, and so those have been big ones to really kind of help shape the philosophy of, uh, of that. I don't know how – I'm probably totally not doing this lightning round thing very good. No, no, this is perfect. You're, you're explaining what they are. You know, most people don't explain what they're about. So that's great. And those are all great books. I know of all of them. So I've read two of them. Still have yet to do uh, – to read Traction. So that, that's next on the list. Great. Um, now, so we said books and podcasts. How about CEs? Let's go with a – clinical CE and a business CE? So I went to um, both. Uh, I went to Dr. Mark Costas's Dental Success Summit. I went to that twice. I went 2018 uh, and 2019. That would be more the business end. Um, that was that was huge. Um, just learned a ton. Got to kind of see a wide variety of, of speakers. They just kind of got their chance to kind of dabble a little bit and you kind of got to expose to their content. I thought that was great. Um, as far as clinical, I kind of have two big ones on the docket for next year. I um, I signed up for Dr. Wade Pilling's um, aesthetic full mouth rehab course, so I'm going to that in uh, that's April and May. I'm super stoked about that. Um, I'm a really big fan of his from from afar, and does great great clinical work. And I'm also planning on probably doing implant pathway just to kind of feel pretty confident, but I just kind of want to get a, a a top to bottom core fundamentals of, of implant stuff. So that's kind of on the docket for 2021, 2022, uh, probably looking at IV sedation. That's what I'm kind of looking towards for, for the next big step. That's awesome. I love that you're playing the 2022. That's great. That's great. Um, okay. And so we talked about uh, favorite technology before. How about your favorite dental materials that you're using right now? Favorite dental materials right now. Um, been dabbling with a lot. I've been really trying to take my, my composite game to the next level. I mean, you see a lot of, I wasn't super big into Instagram, you know, in dental school and stuff, but now you see these guys doing these just beautiful, beautiful composites. So 
I've kind of been just getting more and more into trying to do that. So I bought a bunch of new, um, just like sculpting composite instruments, you know, just outside of like your, you know, your plastic paddle. And uh, I've really been trying to take my composites to the next level. So I bought a bunch of instruments from from Wise Wise Instruments and and really trying to get my my composites more and more aesthetic and anatomical. Great. And how do you spell? Is it just W I S E? Yep. Okay. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, next question. What is one dental analogy that's helped your patients understand and improve your case acceptance? All right. Perfect. This, it, I heard this one the other day. Uh, this is probably about a month ago. And this is like just the perfect pearl. And I use it all the time now. So patient comes in, they got, you know, tooth with either a huge composite on it or a big amalgam. And it's got cracks running all over it or partial the you know part of the amalgam is already chipped away and it's got decay around it and you tell them that it needs a crown and they say well it doesn't hurt i don't need a crown and when you say this like are you, per are you ready for this this is so perfect it's basically saying you know mr and mrs jones what you got right here this is basically a bald tire you know right now it's still going but you know and then you might get 500 miles out of this tire but you also might blow it on your first turn out of here so i'm just letting you know that you're kind of playing with borrowed time and this this tooth, while it may not hurt you, just like a bald tire doesn't have you stranded on the side of the road, doesn't mean that it's not, you know, about to break. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I mean, everybody can, can relate with the car analogies. I have not heard the bald tire before, so that's excellent. I'm definitely going to use that. Oh, it seems like almost all my patients right now have these massive amalgams with all these cracks, and I can't, like, you know, sometimes the dental school let me do it. Sometimes they won't, you know, but, hey. So Here's what you should do. This is what I have. Yeah. I want you to get like a little picture flow. And this is what I do. Have a picture of the amalgam looks similar to theirs with the cracks. Then show them the next one of either a tooth split down the middle or a big cusp broke off of it. Okay. And you say, you know, this is kind of the road that your tooth's going down. I'm not saying it's going to have any tomorrow or next week or next year. I can't be a fortune teller. And then you have a third picture of a before and after one with a big broken amalgam on it. And then you have one with like a beautiful ceramic crown on it. So yeah. it shows them where they are, where they are, what's probably going to happen. You know, we know big, you know, like I said, huge amalgam that's, you know, more than half the intercostal distance that's got fracture lines going down it. You know, you know, it's going to get there. You don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be in five years, but you know, eventually that thing is going to, to break off and, you know, just show them like, this is kind of the circle of life of it. And here's what, you know, a nice example of a before and after with the big amalgam in it. And here's what it's going to look like with a beautiful sealed and protected crown on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely, that sounds like that's going to be a, a, a swish every time, but the, see, the thing is for us, it's like, okay, some of our preceptors say, yes, you can do a crown on it or no, don't touch it. Like, so it's just like, Oh my God, what, what's the solution here? But no, I agree with you. It's, it's a ticking time bomb. So um, next question is what would you uh, tell a new practice owner or not, not a new practice owner. Let's go with, what would you tell somebody who is right now in the process of purchasing a practice? What's one tip that you would give them? I would really make sure, just like how I said, how, you know, young dental students should have things written out for where they want to be. That's kind of exactly what I did. Cause if you, if you write out like what you want, you're not necessarily going to try and fit an opportunity to that. You know, you might say, Okay, my, you know, if you don't have your vision clearly written out, and by that I mean, like, I thought I'd, I knew I wanted to be high-level, solo doc, you know, eventually get to a beautiful modern practice, 
high, you know, high touch customer service, all that sort of stuff. But you say, well, there is this practice that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's cheap and it's like, I'd be a partner and, you know, we'd be working weekends, you know what I mean? Like it just, it doesn't align. And then when you kind of know what you're looking for, it just helps you not try and put a square peg in the round hole, you know, or if you're, you know, if you're looking for, Oh, like I want to have a big group practice and like, I want to have either partners or associates or something like that. And then you say, Oh, well, there is this three op cheap practice, you know, in this area. Well, it's like, that really doesn't, that really doesn't fit. You know what I mean? So you can kind of, you know, as, as, as cheap as it might be, or it might be in a, you know, a great spot. If you're, if you can clearly articulate, like, this is where I want to go you're less likely to get distracted on it. So that'll, you know, it might be a good idea to set like a bare minimum of operatories or potential operatories, or um, like I said, what's the, the clinical doc situation that they're, they're looking for. So that's the big thing is just be intentional about where you want things to go and then start versus just looking at practice and saying, Oh, well, maybe this will work or, you know, I can make that work. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's, that's fantastic. And you mentioned group dentistry. Wow, that's the next podcast that we're going to do because that's a whole other discussion, you know. So, um, Doc, thank you so much for talking. Um, can you give our listeners uh, your contact information, uh, ways to reach you, all that sort of stuff? Totally. Um, yeah, like I said, I, the reason I'm doing this is because there's a lot of, you know, people who came before me and I listened to a lot of their content. And I said, I knew once I got to this point that. I wanted to be of service and be able to help and who knows what the future brings for me. I mean, I see some form of, whether it be coaching, consulting, book writing, it's, that's, that's where I eventually see myself going. But for now, absolutely. Um, people can reach out to me. Facebook would probably be a good one. Trent, T-R-E-N-T, Nizen, N-E-I-S-E-N. Um, and the other probably good one would be uh, email. And that's trent.nizen.dds at gmail.com. Awesome. Again, thanks so much for talking with us and you have dropped so many bombs for our listeners. I love it. Um, I can't wait to talk to you in, you know, six months, a year from now and just find out that you are totally crushing it because I love the mindset that you've had. So I wish you the best of luck with your practice. Well, it was a pleasure being on here. You know, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of what you created here. I think it's so great to, like I said, to give this towards the dental student and uh, yeah it's my it's my my pleasure and yeah, i look forward to, to following up in the future hope i i hope it brought a lot of value today and uh, i'd love to be a resource to uh to anyone wherever they're at on their journey awesome thanks again all right guys that'll wrap it up for our interview with dr trent nison a private practice owner in minnesota he's two months out of school he's killing the game we wish him the best of luck we really enjoyed his take on the dentist aspect of private practice acquisition. He just went through the process. He provided a wealth of information. So as always, share this with a friend. Let them see it. This is a huge, huge episode just to get uh, the awareness about the process of acquiring your own office. So as always, follow us on Instagram at dental.studio.vibes. Make sure you share this with a friend. Give us a like, a comment, or review, whatever you can do for us. We appreciate you. And as always, stay safe and vibe on.